Hi everybody, it's Aniki here and for today's podcast I am talking to Dr Steve Alder um, who is a consultant neurologist working with Recognition Health and he's also the dad of four boys. Hi Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, it's great to be here. (laughs) Okay, so today's topic is concussion and contact sports. Um, So... I suppose we'd better start off with exploring what actually is concussion. Yeah, no, that's a a good question. Um, And just to sort of illustrate how how much activity is happening in the concussion space, since we spoke about doing this, um, there's been two documents published. There's a UK concussion guideline for non-elite open brackets, grassroots sports. And in America, there's been a new um, set of guidelines about how you define the diagnosis of mild traumatic brain injury, which they're saying is synonymous with um, concussion. So, um, and each of these documents has their own definition of what is concussion. So if I use the definition that's just been published by the UK concussion guidelines, they simply say concussion is a traumatic brain injury resulting in a disturbance of brain function. It affects the way a person thinks, feels and remembers. To be honest, what I found is um, that's a little, all of the definitions that are available are a little bit dry. And um, when I see people who've had a concussion, even people who've made a really good recovery from a concussion, they kind of want to know a little bit more about what is a concussion than the sort of headline um, definitions that we use. So if people are kind of really interested in this question um, and they want to actually see what a concussion is, then I can um, recommend there's a TED talk, which is called Why Helmets Don't Prevent Concussions and What Might, which is a TEDx Stanford talk given in 2016 by David Camarillo. And um, in this TED talk, he shows you um, a concussion that takes place in a game of American football And the reason why he's showing that is that obviously the person was videoed that they'd set up to record the match ahead of time. The player was wearing instrumented mouth guard, instrumented helmet. So they were able to watch the video, capture how his head moved around when his head was involved in a collision. They were then able to get the data from the helmet, from the gum shield. They could then send that away, put it into a computer and map it back to the brain. And that really brings to life what a concussion is. So if I kind of take you through it, so you start off with any of us and we hopefully all have a brain and it all starts with one of two things. We either get bumped on the head by something or we bump into something or our head gets shaken around, so it moves backwards and forwards, typically quite um, aggressively. And following that injury, we develop 
concussion type symptoms. So that could be losing consciousness, uh, getting feeling foggy, feeling confused, feeling disorientated. Um, and we typically kind of say, well, you develop concussion type symptoms, but, but that's confusing because you end up using the symptoms to make the diagnosis. So breaking it down a little bit. So we start off with someone with their, their brain before it's been either hit with something or shaken around. By that happening, the, the brain, the, that process causes something called shear strains that, uh, that happen inside the brain. And on the TED talk, he gives you a nice vivid um, picture of how these shear strains occur in the brain and what they look like. And they're really quite dramatic. The brain strain then leads to nerve cells being injured. And in a concussion, it's mainly the axonal parts so the connection bits of nerve cells that link different bits of the brain together. Once the nerve cells have been injured, the nerve cells can stop working properly. And it's the um, nerve cells that don't work properly, which cause the symptoms. Now, when you get when you hit something or you get shaken around, the, sh the strains that get triggered happen within 20 milliseconds. So that's there's a, a thousand milliseconds in one second. Within 20 milliseconds, the strain has happened. But the way the nerve cells respond to the strain is different depending on how big the strain. If it's a very big strain, the nerve cells instantaneously don't like it, they get injured. That instantaneously causes functional problems, which instantaneously causes symptoms. But there's a very big spectrum, and some sometimes the nerves don't really start to suffer an injury for minutes, hours, and maybe up to several days, which then causes functional problems, which then causes symptoms. So the acute concussion can take up to 72 hours in total to really fully play out. And what I found in talking to people who've had a concussion is that if you just give people the dry definition, concussion is a traumatic brain injury resulting in a disturbance of brain function, and it affects the way a person thinks and feels and remembers, they're not very satisfied. I found that people really do like, like it when you break it down, you take it step by step, um, and that helps, it, helps them make sense of what's happened to them. And then you can kind of say that once you know you're through this first 72 hours, then hopefully everything will settle down and the, um, the 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 nerve injury will go back to normal, which means the function can return to normal, which means the symptoms will get better, and hopefully you can just get on with your day-to-day -day life. Um, but people who've had a concussion, it's quite a memorable event and it's quite an unsettling event. Yeah, I I remember falling off a pony and doing exactly that. And I guess, yeah, falling from the height of a horse is never ideal if you land head first. But I, we were talking more as well about, weren't we, about the complications of concussion, a more complex concussion. But perhaps first, we should kind of really nail the symptoms that you should be looking for if somebody has received a blow to the head or, or that kind of shaking. Yeah, no, so I think... Um... So if somebody has um, a blow to the head or their head is shaking around, 
and they're with other people. And as a consequence of this, they become unconscious or they're obviously confused, maybe repeating themselves, then um, th that's very easy for people to um, say, we think you've got concussion. Um, it's much more difficult to be certain about what's happened when you, when those things don't happen. And um, I've got this nice list of symptoms that um, people have been working through. And what happened with this list, a whole group of experts came together to sort of say, when, when someone tells you they've had this symptom after a blow to the head or the head being shaken around, do you think this is an indication of concussion? So the symptoms that the great and the good think are suggestive of a concussion are um, being confused, feeling disorientated, feeling dazed, having balance problems, having difficulty remembering, having slowed thinking, feeling dizzy, feeling slowed down generally, having a mental fog, having difficulty concentrating, seeing double, having headache, feeling sensitive to sound, feeling sensitive to light, feeling irritable, having blurred vision, feeling more emotional, and feeling sick. And then some more non-specific symptoms, but still to worry about are um, feeling a pressure in the head, don't feel quite right, um, feeling sad or tearful, feeling nervous. So the, the, the spectrum of symptoms is really quite broad. In my experience, um, the person who is experiencing them, they are pretty certain themselves that these symptoms are not right. And they have a pretty strong sense that they are related to being bumped on the head or being shaken around. They have more difficulty sometimes convincing, particularly clinicians, that that's the case. Um, so really, this is for clinicians to kind of understand these are the symptoms that you really do need to pay attention to. And while it's easy to make the diagnosis when someone's had a witnessed bump on the head and has obviously been knocked out, obviously confused, when people are complaining of these you know, more subtle symptoms, you should take them um, seriously because on the whole, they will be a marker that the person's had a mild concussion. I think the other thing I would really point out here is that um, particularly in contact sports, where there's been a lot of interest in videoing lots of games and trying to analyze the videos to see who gets concussion and when, one of the um, consistent findings is two thirds of the people who get concussion only complain of symptoms the day after the accident. And, um, and in my experience, the delayed onset of symptoms actually may be, well, it's important to recognize it, but actually you may have a slightly higher chance of having a more prolonged bout of symptoms because it suggests that the, the reason the symptoms are coming on with a delay is because you kind of stretch the nerves in a certain way that has triggered a chemical reaction, which has meant that the injury is a little bit more um, serious than sometimes when things go back to normal very quickly. So 
hopefully that's a useful list of the symptoms and adding to that the fact really keep an eye out for symptoms over the first 72 hours okay and if you see those symptoms is it straight back into a and e or what do what what do you i mean obviously it depends on the level of symptoms but what's your advice how do we treat concussion yeah well actually so the um so this uk concussion guideline for non-elite grassroots sport helpfully actually sets that out really quite clearly so this is what it says it says anybody with one or more visible clues or symptoms of a head injury must be immediately removed from playing or training and must not take part in any further physical sport or work activity, even if symptoms resolve, until assessment by an appropriate healthcare professional or by accessing the NHS by calling 111, which should be sought within 24 hours. So that's very prescriptive, isn't it? Yeah, pretty pretty straight straight down the line and and then once you've had that kind of assessment and yes you have got a mild to moderate concussion yeah well so then um the the the, the these new guidelines jump ahead slightly about returning to um, work and sport but let's say you did um have to go and see somebody then i sort of looked at what the nice guidelines say about what you should be advised. So if you go and you see somebody and they sort of say, yeah, you've got concussion, they may or may not do a brain scan, but they're kind of reassured. They kind of think they know what it is and they're reassured, they're reassuring you that everything should be okay. So the, the NICE guidelines say um, you should get details of the nature and severity of the injury, risk factors that mean people need to return to the emergency department, and obviously, at that point, what people are worried about is, you know, you've got quite a serious complication from the head injury, typically a kind of bleed in the brain. Now, that is very uncommon. The, the much more common reason that people go back is because the symptoms get a little bit worse. And actually, that is um, quite um, common. Um, and that's nothing to worry about necessarily. But I thought in the NICE guidelines, the probably the most practical bit of advice was this a specification that a responsible adult should stay with the person for the first 24 hours after their injury so again that's quite prescriptive isn't it yeah so really close monitoring is what they're saying isn't it yeah and so um and then they sort of say some more stuff about you know details about the recovery process details about who you should get in touch with if you get delayed complications and then they say something about returning to work school work sports and driving but the new guidelines pick up quite well at that point so they then go on to say so so the way i'm kind of thinking about this is that you kind of you know something's happened you know in in a sports game or day-to-day life you kind of you've taken the person out of what they're doing you've made the decision about whether you need to contact anybody to get some help they may just be able to do that over the phone. They may ask you to come and be assessed. At the end of that assessment, they should give you that advice. So we're now, say, on to the, into the next 48 hours. So these new guidelines say return to education and work takes priority over return to sport. Um, individuals with concussion should only return to playing sports, which risks head injury, 
after having followed a graduated return to activity, so that is education and work and sport program. Um, all, all concussions should be managed individually. There should be re no return to competition before 21 days. Anyone with symptoms after 28 days should seek medical advice from their GP, which may in turn require specialist referral. So again, these guidelines are really very clear and they are setting out what you shouldn't do, which um, doesn't leave much room for ambiguity. No, it doesn't. And I'm thinking around, you know, I'm thinking about, we talk about young people, we talk about schools, and the kind of discussions around concussion have been going on for quite some time. I don't know how up to date schools are in treatment, but can we just talk a little bit about the discussions that have been going on? Yeah, no, so, um, well, so, so if you, um, people have been recognised concussion for literally millennia. I would say in, in the medical, um, in medical practice, let's say discussions, which is a kind of, you know, a nice way of saying controversies, um, have been raging from about 1870 at least and they continue um, today. And the um, and and when you kind of get, you know, it sounds such a simple thing, doesn't it? You, know, you bump on the head, you get a brain injury, it causes some symptoms. But when you kind of get into the nitty gritty of concussion, um, and particularly associated with contact sports, it becomes su surprisingly complicated. And the way I think about it now is that you have controversies around pitch side assessment. So people have to kind of think, oh, has this person, is this person at risk of a concussion having just seen that bit of contact? Then being assessed, have they had a concussion or not? If they have had a concussion, what should you do? So that's one set of really difficult things to manage. And as a consequence, you get controversies around that. If you diagnose concussion, you then have controversies around when should the person return to play? And we now have these new guidelines for grassroots contact sports, which are being really um, clear and prescriptive. And I think that's because, you know, there's a growing recognition that um, if you have a concussion, it's a, it is a genuinely a brain injury and you must take it seriously and you must let things rest you must let the brain recover because you don't want to go back too soon and suffer another one which, which nicely segues into the third area of controversy which is um, the long-term complications so so most of the historical debates in kind of the medical literature have been around to what extent do people suffer long-term problems after one episode of concussion? That's one debate. And then there's been another debate about what happens when you have multiple episodes of concussion, what's the long-term complications of that? And um, you know, the, 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 the amount of um, articles that have been collect you can collect together during that time is is absolutely huge okay so i guess this kind of leads on and, and i suspect that this next se se section 
it's going to um, elicit some polarized opinions amongst parents because the question is, should I let my kids play these contact sports? Yeah, no, I, so I, I think when, you know, asked about this, you know, I think, so let's stand back for a minute. So, so I think most people would agree, and I would certainly agree from my sort of own personal experience that, you know, sports per se are fantastic. And, you know, everybody should be encouraged to do sport. There's so many benefits. When we're talking about non-elite sport, so where you're not, you know, where, where, where you're just doing sports at school or maybe at a local club, then I think that that's kind of one one type of activity. I think once you get to elite sports where you're starting to have, you know, dedicated time in addition, you know, you're spending multiple hours per week dedicated to elite sports, then that becomes, you know, a slightly different subject and becomes more complicated. So for this debate, if we talk about non-elite sports, um, on the whole, um, concussion is an issue and we do need to, all parents need to think about it. I, I don't think it gets into, I don't think when you're playing at that level, you get into some of the much more difficult questions that I think if you get into involvement with elite um, contact sports. So if we go back to kind of non-elite, the, the chances of any of our kids getting getting an episode of concussion when they're playing contact sports it is relatively low. I mean, you um, even at high-level sports, when you look at the number of contacts that take place in a game, it's something in the region of everything. For every 250, 500, you know, significant contacts, only one of those will result in a concussion. So I think for most of our kids playing, you know, football, rugby, at school, in local clubs, say to the age of 14 or 15, the, the, the risk of them getting a concussion while they're playing is low. There are much higher risks of getting a concussion in the car driving to the, um, the game or the training, to be honest. So in that situation, the, the, the focus needs to be on if a concussion does happen, what should I do? And to be honest, now these new guidelines, which have just been published, really help with that because they sort of say, if you're worried about it, you've got to come out, you can't carry on playing. If you'll get home and you're still worried, you need to contact these people. And then if you've still got ongoing symptoms, you don't play any sports, you focus on trying to go back to school, go back to work. And if you, you, you're struggling with that, and certainly if you're not back to completely normal within um, 28 days, then you must get, get in contact with your GP and get some advice. So I think that that is um, now re you know, really clear and really helpful. Um, and I certainly, from sort of my own kind of perspective, thinking about my own kids, they all play football. Um, they've all played, uh, two of them play contact rugby Interestingly, both of them kind of didn't really like the transition as um, it went into contact. But I think, again, 
up to the age of 15, non-elite, the, the risk, you know, the, you know, any serious risk from concussion are very low. And as long as you identify individual episodes of concussion and you manage them sensibly, then I'm you know, perfectly happy with my kids to um, um, carry on doing that. So you got to 15 and that's where things change for you. Yeah, no, no, no. So, so, I, so and I think, to be honest, the, um, you know, so, so there's, a, I was looking at a, a piece of research that was sort of done in 2013. And it was looking at um, the career of um, American footballers. So they've kind of been tracking um, age, they've been tracking the, um, the number of contacts that you experience and the size of the contacts and they've been plotting this on average over time for people who are going to considering the transition into elite sports and it was obvious from that that the number of um, hits dramatically goes up about the age of 15 and that is um, coincides with an increase in the size of the hits and then once you get to 80 into kind of, you know, proper professional sports up to the age of 23, the number of hits doubles again. And once you start getting into that level of contact, I would say that's where you have to have a really kind of serious dis discussion about um, what are the, you know, the risks of this and um you know, longer term, because then you're starting to bring in the possibility of just a number of contacts that you're having causing a cumulative effect on the brain, which may have long term um, co consequences. I think for this discussion, I think, you know, it is if people were really interested in kind of knowing, you know, where we are with some of that information, I'd be happy to come back and kind of, you know, go into it in detail and set it out. But what I would say at this point for parents is, you know, from what I know, applying it to my own kids, non-elite sport, as long as, you know, you're just doing it for school, um, local clubs, you you know, playing it, you know, you, you're playing once a week, maybe training once a week. I think that's safe and we don't need to worry too much. Um, if you're seriously considering a career for one of your children in elite sports you know particularly um, rugby particularly soccer football and that may start to involve lots of either um, contact drills or heading then i think that the um, the emerging evidence starts to is, is really quite complicated and um there's certainly if it was you know if i was considering it with my own kids i'd be, have serious reservations about letting them endure that much contact, certainly before the age of 18, where they can make a decision for themselves. Um, again, I have no problem with them playing football, but I'd be really unhappy about them doing extensive heading drills. But I think, in fairness, that's kind of um, reflected in most of the guidelines now. It's more of an issue with um, major contact in sort of collision sports, where you're kind of having lots and lots of tackles. No, really, really helpful. And um, I know you said we're not going to go into, into too much detail at this point, but those longer term implications, can, can you just 
give us a couple of yeah so the way i think about it so so, so in terms of the you know there are basically now like two major um long-term complications that people are worried about related to contact sports so so the first is that you have an episode of concussion that doesn't fully settle down and gives you um, sort of permanent grumbling symptoms um, that affect you for forevermore to a to a greater or lesser extent so that's one sort of scenario which I would use the term persisting post-concussion syndrome for that. And that tends to typically manifest with you know, one of either sort of physical symptoms like headache, dizziness, difficulty with light or sound, or anxiety, depression, or problems with feeling mentally slowed, mentally fatigued. And individual people can have you know, one of those three unfortunate people can end up with a sort of combination of all three. So that's one group. And then the other group is kind of this concern about the fact that playing a lot of contact sports can trigger these what are termed neurodegenerative conditions, you know, particularly in the younger people, this condition called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and that was the topic of the film Concussion, where um, where Will Smith played the the, the the neuropathologist, and CTE presents relatively early, so sort of before the age of it can present at any age, but in certain people it's it's presenting before the age of fifty, which from a neurodegeneration perspective is extremely young. Um, you know, it, that's, it's very unusual to see kind of neurogeneration, which causes dementia, presenting at that age in um, many settings at all. And then there's the risk that um, people are going to end up with earlier onset dementia as they get older. So that, that's more of a concern with the, um, you know, so the England 1966 team, people are worried about the number of those people who've ended up getting dementia and to what extent is that related to playing football and perhaps particularly heading but the amount of sort of head contacts that people are having playing football so they're the two big um, areas which cause long-term complications so you've mentioned rugby and football and american football yeah where do you stand on things like boxing those kind of sport I mean do they feature or is that not really is it more disciplined so it's less problematic I mean I just see them thumping each other's heads and just think yeah no no I mean yeah I mean I mean I think it's you know I, I think we'd probably established a long time ago that um boxing you know is bad for the brain and you know the 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 expression um sort of punch drunk which then became dementia pugilistica and which then morphed into what we now call um, chronic traumatic encephalopathy so again I think with my own children is if you know I, I would really say look you know I'm just really not happy you doing this before you're 18 if you you know once you get to 18 and it's your own choice well you know that you know you're an adult by that stage but you know I think that the um 
now we can um, put instrumented mouth guards into mixed martial arts fighters, boxers, and you, and you can see what's happening to the brain. You know, when the brain is being um, punched, and you can see the way the that those changes cause the brain to become leaky. And yeah, so I think that that you know, so I personally wouldn't subject my brain to that. I certainly wouldn't you know, let any of my children be exposed to it until they could get to a point where they could make the decision for themselves. I think the risks are just way too high for that. Yeah, and we all know the adolescent brain isn't fully developed till 25, so whether they make sensible decisions at 18 is, is another matter as well, isn't it? But let's move on a little bit and think about what actually is being done to protect players now that, that's different. Yeah, no, there's a there's a whole um, you know so so obviously it's becoming you know the, the whole issue of concussion is becoming more recognised and as a consequence of that um, people are thinking about what to do. So I was I was just for my for my own um, I was just having a look at kind of where we are. So with football and heading in Scotland now, they're saying children aged eleven or under will no longer be will no longer be taught to head footballs during training. Then the um, and the reason what the, the the thing that prompted that change was the evidence from Glasgow University that former footballers were three and a half times more likely to die from brain disease. So in the US, um, they are saying players ten or under cannot be taught the skill of heading and cannot intentionally head the ball in a competitive game. Um, the PFA have put some um, heading guidance out, and um, I'm looking at kind of their headlines here. So they say no heading training in the foundation phase, graduated approach to heading for children in the development phase, which is age 12 to 16. So then they give you age group year seven to year 11. Heading should not be introduced in training at this age, year. 12 heading remains a low priority one session per month max five headers end of 13 heading remains a low priority one session per week max five headers from 14 15 16 18 heading remains a low priority one session per week max 10 headers yeah so so and again i i think for, i'd be pretty comfortable with my own kids you know following those guidelines. But I would feel, start, I'd start to feel uncomfortable if they went beyond that. So I have a question. Is there a reason why, I mean, you know, little people, little, uh, I don't know, do they have less hard skulls or why is it suddenly okay to do something at 15, 16 that you can't do earlier? Or am I asking a really stupid question? No, no, you're asking a very good question. I, I don't really, it doesn't make any sense to me from a neurological perspective. There's a, um, yeah, so, so one of the things that I, you know, do see, there tends to be this kind of tendency to kind of start saying, well, it's different in men and women. It's different in people who are younger than in older. And that may or may not be true, but it feels to me that tends to be, used as a deflection from the bigger issue which is should we be doing this at all i'm not sure as you're saying there's a very good reason why going from age under 13 to under 14 
should prompt a change in how much heading you can do. I think it's good that you're doing um, not very much uh, under 13. And, I, and, you know, one session per week, max 10 headers. I'm pretty comfortable with that. And that goes up to under 18. So it's not a big change. But I don't, I, I agree with you. I can't think of any real reason why there's a difference in how the physiology of the person as a whole, the skull, the brain, and how it responds to being bumped really materially changes between those ages. Oh, it's always a relief when you work out you haven't asked totally ridiculous. <laughs> Thank you. So, you know, we're going to have parents who've got kids who are absolutely determined that they want to pay these contact sports. What what do you think the role of parents is at that point? Well, I mean, I think the, well, I mean, for, for all, all of us as parents, you know, we're there to kind of, you know, try and guide and steer our children, aren't we? So I would say it's, um, you know, the reason why concussion is um, more visible now is because the complications associated with it are genuinely important. So I think the first thing as a parent is to kind of try and get your head around how much of an issue is this really? And, you know, things like this, I think, are really helpful because it is quite difficult to kind of pull all the information together. And then, so I, I, you know, so I'd be sort of saying, look, you know, as a parent in, you know, 15 and below school sports, non-elite, you know, the frequencies that are mentioned in this heading guidance, you know, I, 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 you know, the risks of any major long-term complications are, you know, extremely low. And there's risks with everything and, you know, don't get too hung up about that. Obviously, if your child does have a concussion, you know, hopefully now you would have an idea about what to do. Um, and if things don't settle down, now the, the guidance is pretty clear. Like get help and get it quite soon, you know, certainly by four weeks the issues around um, if you've got like a child who really wants to do elite sports and wants to do it really seriously and would start to, you know, be involved in contact and um, volumes of risky head contact, that becomes um, much trickier. And, and again, I think that if you had like an audience that had an appetite to really go into that in detail, I'd be happy to spend some time to pull that together to give parents you know a synthesized view of kind of what the current data is importantly kind of what the downstream risks are when you make that change from non-elite to elite sport participation thank you well perhaps on that note i should say but if you if that's what you'd like from steve Please get in touch and we'll set it up and get it organised. Steve, is there anything else that you want to add before we close? Um, no, I don't think so. I think we've, um, you know, we've covered most of the, um, you know, the important points. And I, I, I think, you know, from my perspective, in terms of what I see in people who've had concussion, is that so even in people 
So, so firstly, um, actually, the number of people who get concussions from sports is, is, is relatively low. You're obviously at higher risk of getting a concussion in a contact sport than you are when you're doing other things. But still, the risk is low. The vast majority of people do extremely well. People do like to know. They are curious about kind of what happened to me? What happened to my brain with those symptoms? Because they were really quite significant. Then I would say, have your eyes open for this delay of onset of symptoms and subtle ongoing symptoms. You know, so if kids are struggling to concentrate afterwards, you know, keep an eye on for that. And the another thing is if you get long-term complications, which are more anxiety and depression, that can be quite difficult to see. So have your eye open for that. And again, if you can, it's this four-week window. So you have this four-week window of thinking, oh, this isn't quite right. The earlier you can identify that someone's struggling after concussion and the earlier you can intervene and get assessment, definitely the better. They would be my key takeaways. Thank you. And I and I think also um, what uh, I guess that schools have all of these guidelines and and know you know it's kind of part of what they have to be looking at. But is that is that is that real? Um, I mean, I, you know, it, it's difficult. So I think um, so. The, the 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 concussion story reminds me very much about um, remind, reminds me very much about my experience of stroke. So you know, twenty five years ago, I sort of started doing work in stroke and at that point there weren't um, stroke units there weren't TIA services and now 25 years on you know the whole country is covered with hyperacute stroke units there's processes for getting people seen with mini strokes I think at this moment in time the the realization of the importance of percussion is you know reaching a tipping point that's why the UK government is issuing this type of concussion guideline and being very prescriptive saying that you must contact people within 24 hours you must you know go and see your gp within 28 days i suspect at the moment that the system is in catch up and it may struggle to respond in the way that you you would hope it would and you may still find quite a lot of resistance within the clinical system to kind of getting the holistic approach that's you know set out in the guidelines but things will continue to get better so i think what that means is as a parent with your precious child don't get fobbed off you know the guidelines you know push advocate on behalf of getting the right assessment for your child with time you know we'll all get more au fait with the topic with the guidelines and systems will get slicker and slicker is my prediction Amazing. Steve, I've learned so much. Thank you so, so much for being with us today. Really, really interesting. And actually, I think it's an extremely important topic. So I'm delighted that we've covered it with uh, with such an expert. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So there you go, everybody. Um, this will be in the Hubble Twitter. We'll put a link to the guidelines that um, Steve is talking about there. Uh, recognition health of the link will be there um, and I look forward to seeing you on the next podcast.